0: Welcome back to Got Teched? The podcast. This is episode 31 called 24 Tech Tools for Student-Centered Learning. In this episode, Guys and I dive deep into the foundational building blocks of student-centered classrooms and the changing roles of teachers and students. We also take a look at 24 new tech tools that help make your personalized learning environment a reality. Stay tuned because this is one episode you don't want to miss.
1: Well, we're back for episode 31. How's it going, Nick?
0: It's going really good. We're back from spring break. It's always kind of like a fresh start. A lot of energy to help finish out the rest of the year. So I'm, I'm doing well. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, we were supposed to have a guest on today. Uh, we weren't able to link up, but we're going to bring that guest on in a couple weeks. I'm excited about that. But today, I think we have a great episode lined up for everybody.
0: Yeah, it's exciting because I, I, I know for me, I've been noticing that I, there's sort of like this umbrella theme over all of our most recent episodes and we're sort of just jumping from from rock to rock as it were underneath this umbrella, but we thought it'd be good to kind of bring all of these things into one place and do one episode that kind of really dives deeply and puts all of our sort of central themes under this one giant topic and that is, of course, student-centered learning. We really want to take the full episode and sort of dive deeply and cover that start to finish. We're going to look at sort of exactly what it is, the roles of the students and the teacher in this this new changing landscape and and just sort of way some of the benefits which we think are are many and maybe also, I don't want to call it the downsides, but definitely some of the challenges that a teacher is going to face when you sort of approach this student-centered learning standpoint. So that's what we're sort of looking to do here in episode 31.
1: Yeah. And one thing I got to point out is last couple of episodes with our fantasy draft and even going back a couple before that, when we talked about uh, feedback tools and all that, we've been extremely ed tech heavy and we're going to continue that today. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the ed tech that's going to help the teacher create their Student-centered classroom.
0: That's right, and I think you know once you bring in the technology, that sort of helps tackle so many of those difficulties that a teacher might have, or 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 at least things that make this that might make this seem a little bit too challenging. And I know for me, a good place to start really when you're sort of tackling anything new, maybe you've heard about student-centered learning before, maybe you think you have a student-centered classroom, but I think it'd be really probably smartest to just start back at the beginning and really define super clearly what this is. Now, I I didn't come here with an official textbook definition of student-centered centered learning today. I really just kind of want to share my understanding of this and guys, you can jump in and let me know if I'm on the right track or the wrong, but it always kind of makes me think of a a saying I heard, uh, this is going years back now, but it's sort of like changing the role of a teacher from what can be thought of as a sage on the stage to becoming the guide on the side. And I know this has been out there for a while. A lot of you have probably heard the same thing, but I think it's a nice way to really grasp that definition of what student centered learning is because you're really stepping down As, as a teacher, you're stepping down from this person up at the front of the room that just talks for however long and hopefully everybody understands it doesn't really matter if they do or not because you said it now it's on them now it's on the students um, but you sort of change change that and well what about if you just instead were the guide that was sort of always available to help students as they investigate as they explore um, sort of on their own and sort of built in there is things that meet their needs as best as possible so how does, how does that sound to you for a definition?
1: I think you wrapped it up uh, pretty well. I mean, the student—they're—they're they're being driven. They're investigating. They're really investing in their own education, through their own interests, and that's going to be the motivating factor here. Where the teacher on the other side, their role is a little different now. As being the guide on the side, they're also the facilitator, all right? So they're still planning. We still have lesson planning, but it's going to look a little different. We're going to provide the shell to the students, and then the students are going to take it in a way that interests them, but the thing that we need to think about is the content. We need to make sure, we're still responsible as the teacher to make sure that they are getting All the content. And this seems like, hey, teachers aren't really doing anything. They're just there, that type of thing. But it's our job to make sure the content is still there because we still have state testing. We still have all these things that students need to accomplish. We still have standards. We still got to meet the curriculum guides. So that is our role as teachers. And sometimes what that means is we have to be great planners. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later about being great planners and some of the ed tech resources that. Can help you be great planners. We also have to be curators. We need to be able to recognize students are struggling and guide them somewhere where they can go to get the answers that's going to help them connect the pieces of content together.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I mean, you wrapped up the roles of a the changing role of a teacher really nicely there. Pros and cons are tough because I think the list of pros far outweighs it. That's kind of the main driving force behind this, this student-centered uh, push that's been happening now for many decades, but really I think is starting to find Finally, gain a foothold. For me, the biggest thing is really just student interest, student curiosity. Uh, The supports that we provide the student, all of those things are are built up so much uh, because now they don't, you know, a kid doesn't have to just come to school and sit there and listen to a bunch of stuff that maybe they don't even care about, or in 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 a way, in a learning style that isn't even good for them. You sort of meet them where they are uh, with their needs in terms of learning things they like to learn about, learning it in a way that they like to learn it, and giving them them all those options. And the, the real pro after all of that uh, is, of course, every teacher's goal. That's just, you know, students learn way more and they learn way better in this type of environment.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And the thing that you said uh, with uh, there's a lot more pros and cons, I would hope so. Because yeah. if this is a new way of teaching, why would we want to go to something? that has more cons than what our traditional teaching was like right so maybe we need to talk about traditional versus student-centered real quick when i think of a traditional learning classroom i think of the teacher up there and they talk they give information to the students and hope that they They harness that information, and the only times that they really get to see whether the student knows it or not are on assessments, whether it's a quiz or a test. You know, there might be some projects in there, but think of our special ed students in this case. Say I am a boy in a algebra class, or a girl, it doesn't matter, but I'm in an algebra class or any math class and there's numbers and formulas and I'm dyslexic. Okay? So, the teacher is going over the proper ways to do math problems. The teacher has no clue if I can do a math problem or if I'm getting confused by the different arrangements of numbers or formulas. However, in student-centered learning, since the student is guiding their learning, there are ways for you to meet up with a group of students or individual students throughout the lesson. And I think that's a huge pro. And it also makes things a little bit more fair. I know that you have a pretty good example of the the whole kind of equal playing field within student-centered learning.
0: Yeah, well, it's... Um... A lot of the times one of the arguments teachers will have against this sort of a thing is that uh, besides the fact that it seems like it can be a lot of work to develop this, which it definitely can be, people will say that it's not fair to build in extra supports for some students while different students maybe don't get those supports. But it, it always kind of makes me think of it's actually just an image I saw years ago and it's, it's three students of different heights and they're all trying to look over a fence. Um, and, the, and the saying that goes along with it is that fair isn't always equal because if you're trying to help those students to see over the top of the fence to what's on the other side and you give them, say, a box to stand on and the box that you give them is of equal size, then the tallest kid can see over the fence to what's on the other side, but the shortest kid can't. And that's, that's you know, equal doesn't have to mean fair because that equal box doesn't fairly allow them to see what's on the other side. So as a teacher, you kind of have to take that same approach to the content. You're trying to get the kids to learn. Just giving all students the exact same thing, you may only be helping a small section of your class um, and that's that's definitely not fair. So we want to try and give each student a size box that actually lets them see over and it's not equal. You're not giving all kids the same thing but it is fair because you're giving all of them a chance to access that content. So that's really what we're trying to do here in terms of fairness and it's one of the other gigantic pros as far as student-centered learning goes.
1: So really the only con, there, there's two that I could think of uh, and one is the public vision of student-centered learning. And I kind of briefly touched on this earlier, but here's the thing. Even when I was in school, student-centered learning wasn't the the norm. No, It was kind. traditional teaching. And for a lot of parents, that is what education is, that traditional style of teaching. So I guess the biggest con that I could think of is the fact that you switch to student-centered learning, you might get some parent or public community, uh, Pushback, and I could tell you I experienced this firsthand. It wasn't terrible, but I did experience this firsthand when I went to a a flip classroom seven, eight years ago. I, I did get some pushback there, but by educating parents, by having an open door policy, by communicating with the parents, hey, this is what we're doing, this is how this works. Talk to your kids, see what they think about it. By doing that, it really kind of took all of those questions away, and you know, became the norm in my classroom at least.
0: Yeah, I kind of saw a similar thing. But I think once you explain, like you said, explain it to parents, also explain it to the kids, let them know why you're doing what you're doing. Um, they, they really get it. And they respond to it super well. In, in just the last couple years, uh, nights like back to school night, right, where you sit down with all the parents, I always kind of let them know that, uh, my classroom may look a little different and just just very recently, I've started noticing that they sort of already either know what it is and if they don't know what student-centered learning is, they, they immediately kind of latch on to, wow, that sounds awesome because I think people are sort of starting to switch and realize that maybe things can be done a different way or a better way. I, I actually also want to bring up one other, I hate to call this a con, but I think it deserves to be mentioned because I think it's one of the things that holds a lot of teachers back and that is uh, the, the amount of work that this can take because it actually is easier, I think, for a teacher to run a teacher-centered classroom because then all you have to do is plan out what you're going to say and how you're going to say it and you just stand up there and you say it and then you hope that it works for everybody, but kind of whatever. We'll see how the test goes. Uh, But now you actually have to think about, well, what might these students need? What might these students need? And what might this other group of students need and build in things for all of them? And that does take a fair amount of upfront work and that can that can seem daunting. Uh, But like we said at the beginning of this, it should be it should be a slow burn. You start small, you build in what you can when you can and eventually figure out what ways work for you, how to accomplish this quickly and really just sort of set this long term goal of slowly making this switch to these types of things. Also, we are living in a world where this is becoming more normal. Once you really start looking around, especially online, there's tons and tons and tons of places where you can find things that are already made with these types of supports in mind. So a lot of that work has been done for us already.
1: So the last thing before we get into our ed tech segments of the podcast, let's discuss how classrooms have changed. I mean, we already talked about computer labs going away one-to-one devices coming in, but also there's something called flexible seating. And this is where our traditional five rows of desks go away. And now all of a sudden we have things like Harkness tables where you think of, Well, every time I think of a Harkness table, I think of kind of like the round table um, right? with, uh, you know, you have everyone around the table so everyone can dive into conversation. Right. And then you could break those tables away. So it's a whole bunch of tables mixed into one round table or one oval table or, or a square table, whatever shape you want. So you could have big group conversations, but then you could pull those tables away and have small groups.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like, you always used to describe this to me and this is again going a little ways back, but a classroom that's really student-centered, it should kind of feel like organized chaos where you walk in and, and there's kids doing everything everywhere, maybe doing different things and to the untrained eye, it might look like there's not much going on. Uh, but that's sort of the feel you're going for. That, And while it may feel that way, really the, the engagement that's happening in a classroom that looks like this is, is way higher than it would be if it was quiet and there's just a bunch of kids sitting inside doing a worksheet. You may still have kids. In a student-centered classroom, sitting and doing a worksheet, but there may just be a small group of them. Maybe there's other students in other areas of the room doing that same thing, but in different ways. So I, I like the, that term, uh, "organized chaos," to sort of describe what this classroom can can look like.
1: So there we go. We gave a pretty uh, deep definition and uh, how uh, student-centered learning and traditional learning are different, and the roles of the teacher versus the students, and what a flexible classroom looked like. This was our are kind of our narrative for student-centered learning. Now we're going to get into it. So we have all these resources that you can use as a teacher, the resources that you could introduce to your students. And then uh, we also have some of the best practices of student-centered learning. So we're going to get into all these things right after this.
0: You can follow Got Tech outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at We Got Teched.
1: So let's go into some best practices of student-centered learning. And we're going to make this very, very brief to the point and short. Project-based learning, problem-based learning, we often refer to this as PBL. In project and problem-based learning, the teacher is going to provide the students with a narrative. Uh, The students are going to Grasp that narrative and take it in a direction where they can investigate a solution to a problem or develop a project that's going to show that they understand the content and they can come up with a solution or a way to portray that they know that content. All right. And then next we have case based learning. And this is a very similar to problem and project-based learning but the difference is is it's more analytical it's more based on data uh they look at data and based on that data they figure out what the problem is and they figure out what the solution is and then they present it uh the last one that i like to throw into this group is claims evidence reasoning now this is more of a logical approach yes, it can consider data. It can be centered around data and that could be one of their pieces of evidence, but it really gets students to dive deeper into the content. So you're going to start off that classroom with some type of a question. And then based on that question, the students are going to answer it. This could be their hypothesis, let's say, and it could be right. It could be wrong. But the thing is, they got to prove why it's right and wrong and provide a reasoning behind it. So their claim is the answer or the hypothesis to their question that the teacher might have given them and then they have to look at evidence to try to see if their hypothesis is correct, and then based on what they analyze within the evidence, they provide reasoning to support that. So these are all types of inquiry-based learning, and these are all blanketed under the broader term of student-centered
0: learning. Well, I think it's cool too how much these things can overlap. I know we just listed those as like different best practices for how to accomplish this, but I mean, if you're doing a problem-based lesson where you know you kind of present this issue or this this thing that the students have to try and solve, they may present their findings of how they're going to solve this problem by using a claims evidence reasoning format. So there's a lot of overlap here and I think it just kind of gets cool to see how some of these strategies can work together. I'm also going to throw some others out there. Um, one, This is sort of one of my favorite things uh, just as of recently and that is blended learning. Blended learning, of course, sort of allowing you to combine traditional style teaching with technology tools. Uh, the technology tools, of course, bringing together, you know, that student-centered piece. Some of the learning happens online, some of the learning still happens happens. happens in the school building because of course, that's where the kids are every day anyway. And my favorite way to accomplish that is of course, uh, the flipped classroom model. We've talked about this a little bit before, but that's where the students sort of access the content that you want them to learn on their own time so that when they're actually in class with you, you can really function as that facilitator and sort of mingle around and help students where they need it, when they need it, how they need it. Whereas if they were just trying to say like do homework at home and they're confused, then they're at home. So, they they don't really have a good way to get help from you, their teacher or other students uh, if if they need it. So, those are kind of like the really tech-centric ways to accomplish this. I think we also need to point out that that differentiation, which we've all been talking about for a really long time in education, but that plays a huge part in terms of best practices uh, within student-centered learning, because that's really kind of what you're doing. You are you are differentiating for as many different learning styles and providing as many different modalities for, for your, your kids as possible. So that's uh, just a bunch of different things to consider when you're planning out some of the ways to approach uh, a student-centered lesson.
1: I, I would agree with you there that flipped classroom and blended learning can both be a part of student-centered learning, but it doesn't always fit there. Right, And there's some common characteristics of inquiry-based learning, project-based learning, problem-based learning, case-based learning, and claims evidence reasoning that kind of fit in that student-centered realm. Because you can do a flipped classroom and still make it teacher-centered. We need to look at the different characteristics that really make up uh, all those previously mentioned approaches. And, and the first thing is, is it has to be based on student interests, their needs, and their learning environment. What I mean by that is how they learn the best. As far as the teacher, the teacher needs to plan, they need to implement, and they still need to assess. And this is the common piece between traditional and student-centered learning. All right, what I mean by planning is the teacher needs to come up with a narrative. And this is the introduction to the learning experience. And then they have to be a curator in the way that they give them resources or guide them to resources. Um, So students can do research and so students can analyze the research. And then finally, it's turned over to the student to really portray that they understand everything through some type of presentation of the learning.
0: So, these are some of our uh, common best practices and common characteristics amongst all of these best practices, but stay tuned because for the rest of the episode, we're going to get into some of the edtech tools that help make all of this possible.
1: Nick, now it's time for my favorite part of this episode, which is getting into the ed tech, and that's really probably what everybody wants. It's just to talk a little bit about the ed tech that goes with student-centered learning.
0: Right, and we tried really hard uh, to make sure we're bringing always all the time different things. So we think we've put together some really cool uh, technology resources that teachers could use uh, related to this student-centered environment and how to run that. Uh, but hopefully, some new and exciting ideas for people too.
1: All right, so we already went over some of the roles of of student centered learning, like being a curator and a facilitator. And these are the two main roles that I think of when I think of student centered learning. So let's talk about the ed tech programs or the resources that we can make for our students. So this might just be going into a Google site and making a resource page where students can go and get uh, images, music, uh, sound bites, these types of things. So when they are doing some type of a real world problem or student centered learning, activity they could go there and grab pictures sounds music for their projects and not have to worry about anything because these are all going to be common Collective, maybe you they'll have to put you know something like Ben Sounds right at the bottom of the slide just to give a little bit of credit, but you're not going to be paying any money, and you could download these things. So let's get into the curation piece.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of different uh, categories that a teacher should kind of curate resources for kids with all that uh, with all those kind of details in mind that Geist just described. We found three really cool ones specifically focused on images where your students don't have to worry about any kind of copyright issues. They can just find them use them, and maybe do a quick little site source at the bottom, whatever they're creating. So one of those is StockSnap.io. Just do a quick Google search for that and you'll find a giant catalog of images that they can take and use in whatever project they're looking for. Probably my favorite one would be something called Unsplash. The cool part about Unsplash is it kind of lists all their images in this really cool grid view that just makes it really easy to, in 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 seconds, kind of kind of browse and find exactly what you're looking for. And there's another newer one called uh, Pexels, P-E-X-E. E-L-S, that pretty much does the same thing. Again, the idea is that if you want your students engaged in this creative kind of student-centered project environment, you should have some spot where they know they can go to easily find things where they don't have to worry about, you know, copyright issues or anything else like that. So, those are kind of our top three Image curation picks.
1: And by having all these resources in one common place, it's also going to help them cut down the amount of time that they're looking for stuff to use in their projects. So that does help in that Google Sites would be a great spot for this. You could even do it in a Google uh, Doc or an Excel if you're into the Microsoft or uh, really anywhere where you can put a collection of resources. So let's talk a little bit about sounds. And... Uh, once again, we're sticking with three different ones that we want to bring you. And the first two I really, really like primarily because you don't even need a login to download these images. For example, Sound Bible, that is one. These are all in the show notes. So if you're interested in any of them, go to the show notes. Uh, the second one is Sound J. And Sound Bible, Sound J, no login. There's another one that I really like. It's called freesound.org. However, the only con to this one is that there is a login required. So that's going to turn some uh, teachers off because you're going to have to go into the privacy policies and just make sure that they are PACOPA compliant.
0: Sort of along those same lines, I found a couple resources that do all, pretty much also sounds, but more along the lines of music. If you have your kids engaged in any kind of like a podcast project or maybe they're recording videos. Um, I know that recently I had a class project where they had to do like a stop motion video assignment and for the creativity aspect. You know, I told them you don't there's no requirement for music, but it really helps bring your stuff to the next level in terms of professionalism. But like you just said, a lot of the big hang-ups that you get during class projects like this is especially if you know, if you're, you know, a, a young kid, 13, 15 uh, years old, you know, you how would you know where to find that stuff? Well, yeah, you can Google and find things, but a lot of those are copyrighted. They're actual songs that you have to pay to use. Uh, so two two sources where you're not going to run into this are Incompetech, uh In Competent, like incompetent, but at the end, just sub it out with tech, T-E-C-H. Really great professional sounding music, all sort of categorized so it's easy to navigate and find. And another one that does a similar thing is called free soundtrack music. And of course, uh, for any of these, if you have trouble finding them, just check the show notes where we will put links for all this stuff.
1: So you could also, on this Google site, you could also put templates to stuff, brochures and stuff. There's a lot of this stuff out there. So you could put templates to... Uh, the project that you want to do if it's a claims evidence reasoning. There could be a, a place where it's going to direct students to go through the steps of making ethical justification. Uh, that's another template that you could put there. Some of our Venn diagrams and our graph templates and all that stuff can all be in this resource plot. So let's shift a little bit. And one of the major differences between traditional and student-centered learning is the fact that the teacher becomes the facilitator of learning. That doesn't mean that the teacher is not planning anything out. You have to be more organized, and that's why we went over the resources. But we also have to be the facilitator of learning, which means we need to make sure that we know where the student's mastery level is currently at. So the way that we do that is by doing different formative assessments. Whether you are doing some type of a Google Doc or Google Forms quiz or Google Slides, maybe a personal reflection, you could do that, but we're going to talk about five different assessment tools and some of these assessment tools are well known some of these aren't as well known so the first one we could probably just say it and move on and that's Kahoot. Kahoot's been around for a little bit.
0: Right everybody knows uh, most teachers know Kahoot at this point. So
1: it's just a quiz game show where uh, they get to answer multiple choice questions, they compete against other people in the classroom, there's a scoreboard. The pro is that students love it, the con is that you get points for quickness. So a lot of times I find that, that, that students just guess. But I will tell you a strategy that will help you help them, and that is you're able to get data from each one of these quizzes. So... Tell them, you know, whichever ones that you get wrong, they have to go find the correct answer and they have to explain why they didn't get it right or what the misconception was or if they were deciding between two choices and they thought it was this one. And that's going to make them take their time a little bit and you can set how much uh, time the question stay up for, stays up on the screen for. So that is an easy way around it. I've done that a couple times and kids, uh, they just take their time on
0: it. That's a great idea because I'm the classic student Whereas, as soon as you introduce that time element, even if I know the answer just because I feel like I'm being rushed, it kind of escapes me. So it could definitely lead to guessing on their part, but that's a Great way around it. Another one, though, that kind of uh, would take away that element. Uh, so you do lose the game-like experience with this, which I think you know for for. There's a lot of benefits to that, but then you lose that sort of rushed timepiece, uh, which maybe is a positive side to this. It's called quizzes, uh, Q U I Z I Z Z quizzes. Uh, the the best part about quizzes is that the students really can take control of this on whatever personal device they have, um, and I really like it because it allows you to assign these uh, quizzes games almost as a homework assignment, which is really great because then as the teacher you get that feedback before they come into the room, so that you can make some instructional decisions kind of on their way in there. I know, when, whenever I'm doing a flipped lesson, I use this just because I need to see, okay, what am I going to have to spend time talking about and, and checking on their understanding of at the beginning of the class before we move into the project-based portion, uh, just to make sure everybody's on the same page. So anything like quizzes that can give you that data, uh, r- really a great resource to have.
1: The next one is Quizlet Live, and a lot of people know what Quizlet is, but it's just another one of these assessment tools. Students can control it on their personal device. Cool aspect of this is their placed on teams. So uh, Quizlet Live is another one. And uh, I've also heard that it ties into you could use Quizlet flashcards to set up our next one, which is GimKit. And GimKit is one of our favorites to talk about over the last couple of episodes. GimKit was made for students by students uh, out in Seattle. It introduces an extra layer of gamification by uh, having in-game power-ups. What I mean by that is that Every correct question or correct answer they get for each of the questions, they get awarded an in-game currency and they're able to use that in-game currency to buy a Power ups Like the next question will allow you to earn three times as many uh, in-game currency dollars than a typical question would.
0: So I I love that aspect and it makes kind of GimKit my favorite one for this. Before we leave this particular segment, I also just want to quickly mention Quizalize, which has one benefit, which is key for me, because I always want to make sure that I can assign resources to students like directly based on a question they answered, usually incorrectly. Um, Whereas if you choose option A or if you got this question wrong, I know that you specifically need help with this concept so you can build in a response to that that directs them to a very specific resource. And I I think that's amazing.
1: Another thing about Quizalize that I really like is it really fits into the standard-based grading aspect or the competency-based learning aspect, because you can categorize these uh, questions under a standard. So you could put them in a category, and if that category happens to be your standard, then you can sort the data by those categories, and that way you could say, okay, Johnny got three out of three on this competency or this standard, therefore he has proven mastery for that one.
0: So that's really cool if you know that your school district is going towards maybe like a standards-based grading style pretty soon, can be very stressful, but a lot of these resources are sort of tailor-made to work with that in mind. So, those are our uh, student-centered ed tech tools for the teacher. We've got one final segment on this episode where we look at some additional ed tech tools, but now specifically for the student. You can follow Got Tech outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTeched.
1: All right, so we talked about some facilitation and curation things for the teachers. So now let's take our shift and our focus over to the student. So we just talked about formative assessments. Well, now we gotta hop over to summative assessments and student-centered learning. So the first way that we could talk about, and we could just let this one out of the bag, we have PowerPoint for Microsoft users, and we have Google Slides for Google users. But there are these upgrades, these enhancements, all right? for Google. We call them extensions. Uh, we have some extensions that we could use with Google Slides, such as Nearpod and Slide Carnival. And these extensions will help you personalize the slide a little bit more, gives you a little bit more template options. Nearpod allows you to ask some questions in there, so maybe they're making a presentation and they want to get the audience involved which is their other peers in the class, they can make some questions that the students will have to answer and collect some data on that. And that will kind of give them some data on what they explained well versus what they didn't explain well. And it's kind of making them the teacher. Whereas on the other side, we have PowerPoint. And I found this uh, program called Emaze, E-M-A-Z-E. And this is a template interface that allows you to use templates to create awesome visual presentations. And I tell you, this is part of, the whole education, you know, realm that I am terrible at. I am not good at making presentations look professional and nice. And I will tell you, I went on to a maze and they have this one called gallery walk. And it is like, you're going to an art show and you walk down the hall and there's the first picture. And then once you're done with that one, you go out the door and make a left and there's your second picture. They take you on this gallery walk and it, it's it's really cool. So I would highly recommend exploring a maze if you use PowerPoint and exploring Nearpod and Slide Carnival. What I'm saying here is just give them the option to use it. Show them a how-to video, which is already on YouTube. It's not gonna take you any time really other than to search YouTube and just put it out there. Teach your students how to use tech don't teach them how to use PowerPoint. Don't teach them how to use Google Slides because when they're out in the real world, it's probably going to change again. I mean, we've gone through several variations of Google um, Slides already. There's been several updates. We've gone through several generations of PowerPoint. We just need to make them technical users and problem
0: solvers. Right. You need them to be, uh, yeah, like you just said, problem solvers. That's what you got to train them on. I got to mention, though, as you were going through some of those PowerPoint things, which eMaze sounds really cool, and I'm definitely going to check that out. It's reminded me is something that we I think I brought up before but it's called Microsoft sway and Microsoft sway is kind of like a spin-off from PowerPoint but it's really exactly what we're talking about in this segment which is ways that students can show their mastery in this presentation format it's it's undefinable in the in any sort of historical context in terms of well is it a presentation or is it a document it's kind of both uh, they just Microsoft describes it as uh, newsletters presentations and documentation really to me the things'll just call them things that Sway lets you create. They look most like websites. Uh, there's motion, the pictures move. You th- there's buttons you can click on that directs you to other places in the Sway uh, document. And it's just, it's the best way to describe it. And, and this is not a Microsoft thing. This is my own language I'm throwing in here. That Sway is is extremely visually striking. And my favorite part about it is that it's, it's just different. It changes it up. Kids have made, uh, by the time they get to high school, they've done PowerPoint presentations. They've done Google Slides probably many times over. Still amazing and there's still tons of uses for both of those of not putting it down, but Sway is something new. It's different. It's unlike anything else and I find that always kind of captures kids' attention. So, if you are looking to do a student-centered project, uh, definitely check out Microsoft Sway because I think there's some cool opportunities there.
1: I'm going to kind of throw you a curveball right now. All right. So in this case, I'm going to throw in videos and screencasts because this isn't something that we included in today's show. But just to go over it real quick, WeVideo is an awesome one. I love that for making video projects. And students can do that to show mastery. But also Screencast-O-Matic, Screencastify and Loom. And we talked about all of those in previous episodes. So just wanted to throw it out there because you can have them do some type of a screencast. If we're talking about screencasts and given responses there's also flipgrid you could do that as well uh, to show mastery so i just wanted to throw those out there cuz it's definitely valid in a student centered classroom another one that students really like is cartoons and i have seen a lot of stuff on powtoons powtoons allows students to make presentations using pre-made cartoon characters so they could show their mastery and it, it's it's a quick and easy way of doing it i mean powtoons is a nice program and they take all the guesswork out of it and but if if you wanted them to really you know, push the ele- element of creativity and also teach them about animations and things like that, you could use Google Slides as well make a whole bunch of slides very little movements over a a great or larger amount of slides and it will allow you to make an animation or a cartoon move so if you took a picture of yourself and you cut it at the mouth and i I believe i listened to an episode of educational duct tape right i think uh, jake miller talked about this a little bit and i thought it was pretty cool i haven't had a chance to do it but that is another way that you can have them show mastery while being creative and you know there are a lot of infographics out there right now of what employers are looking for in the real world, and grades are kind of going to the wayside. They want to see how your creativity, like where are you, in the in the box or out of the box thinker. So let's give these students some opportunities to be creative and really think outside of the
0: box. In that kind of same space, just talking cartoons, there's so many opportunities for them to create uh, comic book style cartoons in video form, and, and not video, it doesn't have to be video, They can just be something they, you know like a the picture itself uh, but the internet is full of ways that makes this quick and easy for kids just some of the m- more popular ones uh, Animaker.com is a free online cartoon maker no cost to the kids tune do uh, tune D-O-O.com is another one creating comic strips super easy super fun uh, movely moovly actually is another thing you can use to make uh, actually moving cartoon images uh, all doing kind of the same thing as powtoons that you mentioned guys but again the more you can change it up give these kids some different avenues to explore their creativity. Uh, just teaches them a lot more and, and keeps it interesting for everybody.
1: So the last way that I kind of want to talk about these uh, summative assessments and showing creativity, and I know as a teacher, we had to make portfolios to show to our potential employers. And one of the things that uh, we could do now is make an e-portfolio, which we talked about before, and you could use Weebly or New Google Sites or whatever you want. You could even go out and buy your own domain and go through all designing your own website that you could carry with you for the rest of your career. But making a New Google Site or anything like that it really allows you to showcase not only you know everything about you on an educational level, like uh, you know what your theory of ed is and where your framework, curriculum ties, and all that good stuff, but it also allows them to see what you're doing tech-wise. For example, if you have a lot of cool templates that you've made, and this is how you're going to stay organized, and th- these are your lesson plans online, they can kind of get a feel for you see how you would teach in a class.
0: Uh, just to step away from the education world for a little bit, I think this is cool because of what it means uh, for professionals as well. I, my wife and I just went through this. She was applying for a new job, and you, know, you make the traditional resume, you print it out. It's so c- pretty much the same deal as always, but just because of this world that we're in and the way school is now, I when we were making her resume, I suggested, how about we we build you a website? We just use Google Sites, the new Google Sites. It looks clean. It looks crisp. It looks professional. And we'll put a QR code on your resume where if the person looking at your resume on paper likes what they see. They decide they want to get some more detailed information about you. They scan it, takes them straight to your website. It looks great. And then you can really feature uh, really whatever you want, like you said. So on her website, we put testimonials from uh, clients that she's had in the past. We put samples of uh, documents. She's a therapist. So we put up different like behavior plans that she's created so people could actually scan through them and see the type of work she's able to do. And it was the first thing that and she ended up getting the job, but it was the first thing her employer said is you're the only one that had this tech piece and they use it. They scan the QR code and they saw all this stuff. Even if all they know is that you put in the time and effort to go that extra mile, it's just a really powerful thing. And I think it's cool that we're kind of teaching kids uh, all those skills so early because a lot of them are going to be able to do the same stuff uh, coming out of this sort of tech environment. So
1: So I know today we went over a lot of student-centered material, the roles, what the classroom looks like, some ed tech, all this good stuff. We hope that you found it beneficial and we hope that you come back and- and uh, join us in another episode because we're going to keep this trend going uh, with uh, current ed tech topics, student-centered learning, professional development in the personalized learning space so if you want to reach out to us you could always go onto our webpage at www.gottech.com or reach out to us on twitter at we got tech but uh, we also encourage you to share our podcast we're starting to grow a little bit at a time and uh, we're starting to get a positive wave of people listening to the podcast reaching out giving us some uh, feedback and we'd appreciate your feedback if you ever felt so inclined to give it to us also Also, we just made a pretty cool sticker. So uh, if you reach out to us on Twitter, message us or whatever, and you want a sticker for your laptop, uh, reach out, give us your address, and we'll send you one out or a bunch out so you can hand them to your uh, friends. Until next time, you're listening to Got Tech, the podcast, www.gottech.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at WeGotTech.